This is Why Libertarian, the show dedicated to telling the stories of libertarians new and old, promoting libertarian values, and fighting against authoritarians, statists, feds, and anyone else who would like to steal your liberty and freedom. I am Matthew Strzok, and I would like to thank you for tuning in to this episode. Enjoy. It is Monday, Monday, Monday. It is 7 p.m. This is Why Libertarian. Uh, I am Matt coming at you every single Monday through Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, like usual, typical typical uh, housekeeping type stuff. Like, comment, subscribe, share, hit the notification bell, retweet, get it out there. Um, do all the things, get connected. Make sure that you get notifications when this stuff goes live. I've heard from a lot of people that if they don't have everything set up properly, they don't get the uh, notification when I do go live. So make sure that uh, you're, you're definitely uh, getting in there and getting connected. Scott, already tuning in. Intro music was fire. Thank you, sir. That is my uh, amateur um, <laughs> video cutting slash musical editing prowess at work there with the intro. Um, so, uh, before we get rolling, tons of stuff happening this week. Um, I have a huge, huge week, uh, planned out here and hold on. Let me pull up the graphic, um, just so you all can see it. But, um, this is our week ahead of us, uh, tonight, obviously we're talking about the constitution and the fact that our president doesn't think that, um, uh, rights exist unless they're in an amendment and those amendments are not absolute. They're up for negotiation. So we're going to talk about that. Um, tomorrow night, I got Crimson Clad coming back. If you remember, Crim was on before. Uh, we are going to pick up our conversation and talk about non-fungible tokens, NFTs, and the NFT showroom that she's a, uh, a part of, uh, uh, you know, originator and developer for, for digital art online on the blockchain. So that should be interesting. Wednesday, we got Mammoth, like a freaking giant. Scott Horton's coming on. We did the uh, Blue Star Union Book Club on the uh, on his most recent book, Enough Already. So we're going to talk a little bit about that with Scott and kind of like the, you know, the impetus for it and what made him write the book. And then also we're going to talk about the situation with the Uyghur Muslims in China. So Wednesday is going to be a huge episode. Thursday... Josiah comes back. We're going to do this natural rights talk like every other week. We're talking about the hierarchy of law, right? Like, does the law of man trump everything else? And that's why a cop can uh, basically try and subdue someone at the side of the road and, you know, do whatever they want to to them as long as it says the law is okay. Or are there higher orders of law that must apply and, and those things must get past, you have to get past those first before we, you can get to the lower order ones. We're going to talk about that hierarchy on Thursday. And then finally, we close out the week with uh, a, a candidate profile and interview. Nathan Polsky is running for city council in Allen, Texas as a libertarian. Go, Nathan. Uh, we are going to interview Nathan and find out what his platform is, where he comes from, his background, um, why he chose to run as a libertarian, and what he can do for Allen, Texas as a member of the council down there in in the great state of texas so um something else to uh take note of uh one uh the episode i did last week on the national debt uh basically uh replying to john oliver's complete trash of an episode or segment talking about the national debt um when i went live with it uh apparently he is a uh Big believer in progressive values and socialism, but not when it comes to IP because uh, he didn't. He and his producers did not want uh, full-size clips being aired on my show. So I went through and I took them all out. Doesn't matter. He's still wrong. I still can thread a uh, an argument against what uh, he said and the complete lack of logical consistency that's there. So I amended the episode. It's back up on the YouTube channel, um, and it's also back up on Facebook and Twitter and everything like that. So you can go check that out. Something else to note, uh, uh, Nick Magner, who I interviewed last week, who is running down in South Jersey for state assembly in New Jersey in, in uh, LD4 down in South Jersey. He uh, and Greg Neely, who is running for the governor's position here in New Jersey in, in 2021, um, 
they have a cool reveal that's coming out tonight. So if you're not connected with them, look up Greg Neely, M-E-L-E, it's two G's, G-R-E-G-G, Greg Neely, M-E-L-E, or look up Nick Magner, M-A-G-N-E-R, I believe it's Magner for Freedom on Twitter. Uh, that will get released tonight in about two hours. So definitely check that out. Some awesome, awesome stuff coming out of his campaign and that joint effort with those two campaigns. It's going to be really fun and entertaining. I'm telling you, I've seen some sneak peeks of it. It's going to be really fun. Uh, all right. And then the last thing, my normal adult beverage has been replaced with this. It's just water um, because our group here in New Jersey is expanding. And also we are trying to get everything in place so that we are just knocking it out of the park and taking care of business. And one of those parts of taking care of business is all of us getting healthy. COVID weighed on us a lot, okay? And it also put weight onto us a lot. And so a number of us are going to be either trying to lose weight or get healthier because you cannot fight for freedom without being healthy. That is imperative. It doesn't happen unless you can uh, basically, you know, run from here to there without like gasping and, and breathing hard. Right. Um, so we are going to get healthy as a group. We got a little competition going. There's already trash talk happening. It's like day one. Um, we're going, you know, biggest percentage of weight loss is the one where we all put a pool in. I'm sure there will be side bets galore as this thing goes on. I think we're going to finish up sometime around, uh, I, I believe, I forget if it's, uh, it's like 10 weeks. We're doing 10 weeks. So it's probably going to be, I think, sometime in early June that we're, we're calling it quits on this thing. But uh, it's also a lifestyle change. So a number of us are going to be doing things better, healthier for ourselves in the long run. And, uh, yeah, you can't fight for freedom if, you, if you're not healthy, right? So we're going to get healthy together. Uh, one final reminder. So I'm going to throw my link tree up here on the screen. And this is basically a – hold on. Let me get the right tab set up. This is my link tree. Um, you can get to all of my social media feeds and places that I put content up. This is available in audio, so if you're more of a podcast like audio listener, you can get to the podcast. I'm also up on Odyssey as well as on Hive. Uh, if you go here, you go to the Hive blog, you can follow me on Hive. There's actually a video up on the YouTube channel as well as now on Odyssey that goes through. It's one hour, takes you through starting up a brand new account. The other thing that you can do, and this is brand new, I just reblogged this today, which is why I'm pulling this up. This top article right here is from Leo Finance. Leo Finance is a front end. It's basically an app that's set on top of the Hive blockchain. They talk about tons of stuff. They have a presence on YouTube too, but they talk about Bitcoin, decentralization, all kinds of tech stuff that has to do with blockchain. If you check out Leo Finance, L-E-O, finance.io they actually have now a streamlined uh, account startup uh, process you just go to their page and actually you know what i might as well pull it up right now leofinance.io you pull up their page uh, assuming the internet's working click in this top right hand corner get started brings up this pop-up screen and you have three options these two the metamask and sign up with twitter is what's called a kind of like a soft account opening. You don't get your keys or anything like that. So they're managing it on the back end, but obviously there's trade-offs there. I don't think you necessarily even have to fund it with any crypto to get started. Obviously, you can go through the Create a Hive Account button. There's a couple more steps, and you can fund your account with Hive Crypto. So remember that. If you go to leofinance.io, and we're going to talk about this a little bit with Crim tomorrow, uh, at 7 p.m. So they have a streamlined process for getting onto the blockchain. All right, Whew. that's enough. All right, I got uh, I, I got a bunch of stuff to talk about here. I got multimedia, I got videos. I'm gonna try and balance it all. And we're talking about a pretty seriously, just sinister, nefarious thing that has happened recently that I think got a little bit of attention and then it kind of has like wafted off, all right? Uh, the first thing I have to talk about is what is the difference in between a natural right and, say, like a constitutional right, all right? A natural right is something that exists just because you do, all right? It is something that is, like, 
you have the right to do whatever you want with your own body because you are a person, an individual, and you get to say yes or no, all right? That is natural, right? You get to defend yourself because you have a right to live and not have someone else aggress upon you and take your life or steal your things, okay? You have a, a, a natural right to be able to defend yourself so that you don't die in that instance, all right? Those are natural rights. They exist regardless of paper, regardless of how much lobbying dollars went into Congress or DC in the last couple of years. Those are natural rights. It doesn't matter, right? Like they could pass a million laws against those natural rights. You still have them. And the fact that they try and take them from you is the reason why they're natural rights, right? Like, because they can try and take them from you, but they, they can't. You're allowed to speak out against them. One, congregate. It also goes within the First Amendment. And then you're also able to defend yourself, which is the Second Amendment. And then the Fourth Amendment is that you don't have to subject yourself to any illegal search and seizure or detainment or anything like that. You have a right to privacy and your person, and the state cannot cross that border without reason, without reason and there's not very many of them, <laughs> okay? But they think there is. But you get to defend those rights because they're natural. It doesn't matter whether the United States exists or not. These rights are, and they exist for us. They exist for people coming across the border. They exist for people in Canada, believe it or not. They exist for people over in North Korea. Those people have natural rights. Whether they choose to uphold them and defend them is up to them, but they have them. They're inherent, okay? Constitutional rights are different. Constitutional rights are rights that are basically granted based off of, the, another way to call them is civil rights, right? We wanna be civil. So within our constitution, we wrote that you have certain rights, okay? So for instance, even within the Bill of Rights, things like the First Amendment, Second Amendment, those are natural rights, right? There's also uh, civil rights that are built into the Bill of Rights, all right? Trial by jury is one, and no double jeopardy is another one. Two examples of civil rights, not necessarily natural rights, because think about it this way. If there were no trials, okay, natural rights don't dictate that you would get a trial by jury, right? So that's a civil right. It's something that's codified by that piece of paper. So right in and there, you already see that, okay, we have a little bit of an issue because when the Federalists essentially staged the coup and took over from the Anti-Federalists, all right, the Anti-Federalists had to try and cobble something together to put it in to the Constitution to defend things that the, the Federalists said, okay, oh, well, these are, everyone knows these things exist, right? Like everything, everyone knows these, they're ubiquitous. We shouldn't have to write them down. The Anti-Federalists had the presence of mind to say, no, 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 no. What you're creating is going to infringe on them. We have to write them down in some way, shape, or form. Because before, when it was the Articles of Confederation and it was the Declaration of Independence that guided kind of the political philosophy of this country, okay, those things spoke to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, right? It talked about natural rights. It didn't talk about, you know, what the government can and can't do. There wasn't supposed to be a federal government. All right. So when they cobbled this thing together, you end up with natural rights and constitutional rights all commingled in this thing, which is why it's a freaking rat's nest to begin with. All right. Now let's also talk about the difference between negative and positive rights. And this is important as well. All right. Negative rights, it, they basically have to do with whether or not there's an obligation from someone else to act. Right. So um, if if the other party, like if it's you and someone else, if the someone else is obligated to not act, that's a negative right. Meaning the other party is obligated to not attack you, right? That's a negative right. Now, if the person on the other side is subject to a positive right, that means they're obligated to act, right? A, a, a negative right is more akin to natural rights in terms of not attacking someone else, not taking their property and things like that, all right? Threatening their lives or trying to dictate terms on them, all right? A positive right is more akin to having a contract where I and you agree that if I do A and you do B, then we have a contract. And as long as we both hold up A and B, the contract exists, okay? 
that's more like civil rights, right? That contract is something that's written that's supposed to be upheld, right? I'm pretty sure that most of the people in my audience will agree with me when I say the contract of the Constitution is not being upheld, <laughs> okay? And has not been for a very long freaking time. So that contract is broken, right? It's been broken. In fact, I would argue it was broken from the very moment that it was put into, into being, in existence. Because in that contract, it also talked about all men being created equal. Obviously, that didn't happen because there was slavery. Women weren't able to vote and be equal in terms of how they were treated by the law and by the Constitution. So all of these things are, are completely, they broke the Constitution the moment that they ratified it. All right? So keep that in mind. So we, we have all of these different kind of like inconsistencies that's cobbled together. Now, don't get me wrong. I know a lot of people will listen to this or watch this and say, but the Constitution is one of the most amazing political documents ever written. It has philosophy in it that had never been contemplated before by countries and trying to restrict government. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. It was a, what I would call a visionary document but that doesn't mean that it escapes from being inherently flawed. What was the flaw? The flaw was the assumption that government could be constrained. It attempts to constrain it, but there was an assumption that it could be. Now, within the Constitution, there were certain aspects of it where the Founding Fathers thought, you know what, we would probably end up overthrowing the government every few years, which is why we have the passing of the torch and basically non-confrontational passing of powers when, say, like the presidency changes and stuff like that. But all of that is window dressing. It's, it's, it, is, it is an illusion to make you think that the government can't grow without bound and that you actually have a say. It's an illusion. It's the emperor with no clothes, okay? And so... Therein lies the problem. So the first clip here I'm going to play you is, this is from Joe, Sp Joe uh, Biden's speech a couple of days ago. And this first one, uh, I'm actually playing this, so if you did watch his speech in continuation, I'm going to play basically the second and third part of you know the six-minute period that I looked at, and then I'm going to play the first part at the end. We're going to Tarantino it, if you will. So let me throw up the first clip. Gun violence in this country is an epidemic. Let me say it again. Gun violence in this country is an epidemic, and it's an international embarrassment. You know, we saw it again last night as I was coming to the Oval Office. I got the word that uh, in South Carolina, a, uh, a physician uh, with his wife, two grandchildren, and a person working at his house was gunned down, all five. So many people, so many of the people sitting here today know that well, unfortunately. You know, uh, they know what it's like when the seconds change your life forever. So what he starts with here is, one, he uses the word epidemic, and two, he now, as most collectivists do, they, they take isolated incidents and then extrapolate them to everyone, okay? To, to make you think that, okay, this one person was done a disservice, something awful happened to them, we need to come up with a blanket solution that, that affects everyone because we need to save the one person or the handful of people that are represented by this, this, these stories and these examples that he brings forward, all right? This is classic, classic progressive collectivist thinking, okay? It's we have to impose a mandate or a change on everyone because a handful of people are being affected. All right. Now, that is not this country. That's not what birthed this country. That is not what this country was about for the first, give or take, 150 years of its existence. Again, understanding that the Constitution was basically broken the moment it started because not everyone was equal. OK, but that being said, even with that context in mind, his collectivist thinking, whether we start the clock 100 years ago or 250 years ago, is still the antithesis of this country, 
This country is meant to be individualist and it's supposed to be voluntary, not obligatory, right? Like you're not supposed to be obligated to participate. So let's talk about the fact that he, he talks about this as an epidemic, okay? And so the one thing I wanted to look at was, okay, well, where does this idea of public health come from? I've said this time and time again. We do not have a gun problem. We have a mental health problem. And the reason why they won't utter those words is because it's difficult to fix. For them, it's much simpler and easier to fix the the quote-unquote gun problem that we have. You just take them away, right? But the problem is that that wouldn't fix the mental health problem. And if someone's going to go out there and kill themselves or kill someone else, I doubt the gun is something that is really going to stop that from happening. Like, if it's not there, they'll find something else. Pressure cooker bomb, a hammer, an axe, a knife, whatever. They'll find something if they have the intent to kill someone else or harm themselves. So what is public health, right? Because that's essentially what he's talking about. He's talking about we have an epidemic that needs to be fixed because it, it's affecting the public health. Well, during the p past 150 years, this is a quote from uh, uh, a research paper by a gentleman by the name of Chave, C-H-A-V-E. It was written in 1984 and I believe updated in 1987. During the first 150 years, two factors have shaped the modern public health system. First, the growth of scientific knowledge about sources and means of controlling disease. Second, the growth of public acceptance of disease control as both a possibility and a public responsibility. Well, I'm not even going to touch the fact that it's not public responsibility. Public health is not public responsibility. Again, this is collectivist thinking more than individualist. But I do want to focus on the fact that I'm pretty sure that the most of the collectivists would look at this and be like, yeah, this person knows what they're talking about. They keep using the word disease. Guns aren't a disease. They're not an infectious disease. Guns don't like perforate throughout the system and like, you know, grow themselves. They don't, they don't go infect other people. They're inanimate objects. They're tools. They're not a disease. You know what is a disease? Mental health. In this country, there are things that cause mental health issues in this country. That is more akin to a disease. Not what we're talking, like guns are not a disease. They are not an organism that can replicate themselves and divide and go other places. That's what public health is meant for. They are trying to change the meaning of words, right? Like this is 1984 shit. They're trying to make it be like, oh, well, this is a public health emergency. Same thing with the, the, identi the identity politics, right? Like the, the, the racial issues that they're trying to play against everyone else to get them to fight amongst each other so that they don't fight the state. Those are, that's a public health emergency, right? But it's not a disease. Like racism is not a disease. Racism is a state of mind. It's also an ethereal thing, right? Like there's no way for you to put your finger definitively on what is racism. There just isn't. Like, you can see it. When something happens, you're like, I'm pretty sure that's racist. And then when other things happen, you're like, eh, I don't know. Like, he's in on the joke. They're on the joke. Like, I don't think it's racist. Right? But there's all this gray area. There's no way to definitively peg that down. All right? The same thing goes with this idea of gun violence. Right? Gun violence is a disease. It's a public health emergency. We need to eradicate it. Well, how do we eradicate it? Well, we get rid of the guns. Well, the problem is that you're not treating the actual disease. You're treating the tool or the symptom. The disease is the mental health issue. Now, here's the other disgusting thing. They will use gun-related events that have a root cause that's outside of the presence of the gun to push for disarmament. That's exactly what they're doing. He will continually refer to what happened in Atlanta and what happened in Boulder, Colorado, which, by the way, draws attention away from the real problem. That dude might have been crazy. He was also motivated by our actions over in the Middle East. That is a domestically radicalized attack. That wasn't just something out of the blue. And that was a strategically chosen spot that had specifically been disarmed because of the politics in Boulder, Colorado. 
but they don't want to talk about that because that's a difficult conversation. It's very easy politically to gain points running on something that is so simple and so easy, and there's no nuance. It's just really easy. We just take away all the guns. They will use these things that are completely unrelated to the actual, you know, quote-unquote problem of gun, of gun violence. They'll use these other things and draw them in because the gun, to them, is the common denominator, when really it couldn't be further from the truth. If it wasn't that, it's a pressure cooker bomb. The two dudes at the Boston Marathon, didn't matter whether they had guns or not, they were killing some people. So here's the second clip that uh, he uh, brings up, I believe he brings up this idea of um, some of these shootings and then some of the statistics, They lo collectivists love statistics. To turn pain into purpose and demand that we take the action that gives meaning to the word enough, 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 enough. Because what they want you to know, what they want you to do is not just listen. Every day in this country, 316 people are shot every single day. 106 of them die every day. Our flag was still flying at half-staff for the victims of the horrific murder of eight primarily Asian-American people in Georgia when 10 more lives were taken in a mass murder in Colorado. You probably didn't hear it, but between those two incidents, less than one week apart, there were more than 850 additional shootings. 850 that took the lives of more than 250 people and left 500, 500 injured. This is an epidemic, for God's sake. And it has to stop. It's an epidemic. It's catching. The guns are moving themselves <laughs> to other people and, and forcibly putting themselves in their hands like a virus and then causing them to pull the trigger and kill other people. This is like doublespeak. It's ridiculous. And the statistics are completely misleading. But here, here's the other thing, though. Right, like when you talk to someone who's on this side of the, the gun gun debate, right? When you talk to someone who's on Joe Biden's side of the gun debate, like no amount of kind of debunking statistics and everything like that is going to matter. Right? Like to them, guns, bad, death, get rid of them. Right? They can't see the forest from the trees. They don't understand what can come of this. Collectivist thinking that is the one undermining piece of collectivist thinking is what seems like can be good for the group in the moment, right? Or to protect a minority within the group in the moment can put the broader group at risk over time. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. But they're talking about it in these collectivist group health kind of terms, these big terms. And then they're gonna use statistics to back it up. Well, Joe, of all of those people that are harmed by guns, how many of them is it actually like, you know, I hate you, bang, bang? How much is that? Does he not? And it's not that he doesn't know the statistic. It's just inconvenient. 60% of gun violence, 60% of the lives lost to firearms are suicide. You're telling me that removing guns is going to stop that? Someone gets to the point where they're willing to commit suicide. They're just not going to commit it because they didn't have a gun. They're just not going to go find some sleeping pills or something. Maybe it cuts down at the margins, right? But again, we're talking about something that is a drastic thing that happens to, to protect a small subset of the population that puts the greater population at risk. And they're taking this counterintuitive tact but people can't put two and two together because they're so focused in on lots of people shot, a bunch of people died, I don't care why, just get rid of what's causing it. And these guys are offering them a, a, an explanation. And quite honestly, if you don't look into it, if you don't study it, if you don't actually ask the questions, it seems reasonable. But once you ask the questions, it is the most insane shit I've ever heard in my entire life. Here's another thing. Is gun violence really all that bad in the United States? 
Like, historically, you would think that the, the, the chart is, like, to the moon, right? You would think that the, it's, it's just going up without bound. We're just having limitless amount, amounts of gun violence. This is the chart on a per capita basis. Notice this. The yellow line is murders from 1968 until 2017. See the direction of that line? It's down. It's only up recently. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that we, you know, had an opioid epidemic, that we have, you know, I mean, this is 2017, but as numbers rise throughout this year, almost guaranteed increased levels of anxiety and depression and things like that that have to do with COVID and the, the lockdown and stuff will cause these numbers to go up. Now, what's interesting is they break out murder and suicide. Notice what's also rising and looks like a little bit more alarming than freaking gun murders. It's fucking suicide, bruh. It's mental health. That's always going to be the problem. Guaranteed, these murders are also caused by other extraneous issues. Not guns. Probably poverty, probably drugs, and the war on drugs. All of these things contribute to these numbers. Getting rid of the guns won't fix the underlying problem. It's like taking a pill for high blood pressure that doesn't fix the underlying problem. And so maybe it takes your blood pressure down a little bit. It won't fix it. It'll bring it down a little bit. But then all of a sudden you got another issue. So then you got to take another pill and another pill and another pill. That's why the Constitution is broken. It allows them the ability to give you this solution and, and say, oh, it's going to solve all the problems. When it doesn't, it takes the edge off of one and then creates something somewhere else. This is used time and time again by collectivists, and it's used time and time again by statists who want to basically pull an end around on the supposed limitations of government that are included in the Constitution. So I'm going to read this. This is from a um, this is from an ar uh, an article in the Atlantic. Though they tend to get less attention than gun-related murders, suicides have long accounted for the majority of U.S. gun deaths. In 2017, six in ten gun-related deaths in the United States were suicides, while 37 percent were murders. Now. Do, do murders suck? Are they awful? Do people die in them and they shouldn't? Yes, they're, that's why they're murders. But you know what also is the, a, a major issue here? Is no one is saying that there's ever going to be no murder. What they're saying is just take the edge off the murder. Get less murder. We need less murder, less murder, less murder. And what I'm telling you is, one, it'll never be zero. And what I'm also telling you is that taking away the tools that individuals would use to defend themselves against an oppressive, tyrannical government and oppressive, tyrannical police officers in many cases is, is not the way. You're supposed to defend yourself and your own person and property. That's the way this country is set up. And this collectivist thinking is going to disarm people because, yes, a handful of people die every single year. And you might say, well, it's 14,000. That's a lot of freaking people. It is, but compared to 330 million people, you're going to disarm 330 million people to save 14,000. That's collectivist thinking. It doesn't fly in this country. When these people speak that different language where they don't want to hear your point of view, the only thing you can do is stand and say, resol and, and say resolutely, I'm an individual. I will not let you take away my natural rights. And if you do, I will fight you. That's the only solution. You can try and reason them for, with them for a while, but so many of them are so far gone on this, it's not going to sink in. It's not. Here in New Jersey, we're trying to, to build cultural, you know, some culture that will bring in people that are sitting on the periphery that might be open to this, this way of thinking and understanding how this country was birthed. And, and how we are all supposed to conduct ourselves, as opposed to always running to the nanny state every single time there's a problem. But it's not going to be everyone. Most of the people that are on the other side of this debate, they won't even hear you. They're deaf. They won't listen. They're too far gone. And so in those cases, don't waste your time. Don't try and talk statistics with them. I'm talking statistics with the folks that would tune into this because, 
Y'all are fairly open-minded. You'll listen to this. The people that are far, far left on this, that are far, far authoritarian on taking the firearms away, they don't care about statistics. They don't care whether or not your statistics are good and theirs are bad. It doesn't matter. They're just going to listen to what fits their narrative. So the answer for those people is if you try and take away my natural rights, I will defend myself. Because that's what they're there for. When someone says that rights are up in the air and negligible, okay, or, or they depend based off of how the wind blows and who's in political power, that's when those rights are supposed to kick in. That's what they're there for. They're the poison pill that's supposed to stop some of this crap. All right, last clip. This one, this one, like I said, I, I played kind of the end of it first, and then I'm coming in. Um, I'm coming in with more of the the beginning of his talk. This is how he started his talk. But also uh, today, we're taking steps to confront not just the gun crisis, but what is actually a public health crisis. Nothing, nothing I'm about to recommend in any way impinges on the Second Amendment. They're phony arguments suggesting that these are Second Amendment rights at stake from what we're talking about. But no amendment, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. You can't yell crowd, you can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater. We call a freedom of speech. From the very beginning, you couldn't own any weapon you wanted to own. From the very beginning of the Second Amendment existed, certain people weren't allowed to have weapons. So the idea is just bizarre to suggest that some of the things we're recommending are contrary to the Constitution. This is another material misunderstanding of natural rights and how they exist. This trope about you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, yes, you fucking can. You can yell whatever the fuck you want, but you have to deal with the ramifications of it. He's basically saying that you can't yell fire in a crowded theater because it's dangerous and then equating it to take away guns. That's not equivalent. You know what would be equivalent? Making sure that everyone had their, vo their vocal cords cut so that they couldn't say fire, yell fire in a theater. That's the equivalent to taking away the firearms. You can own a firearm. A firearm is an inanimate object. You can own cocaine. You can own a firearm. You can own marijuana. You can own a giant eight-foot sword that is sharp as shit. If you don't do anything bad with it, it's not a crime. That's what these people don't understand. Or, or what's even scarier is that they do and they don't give a shit. They're here to take your rights away from you, and they will say whatever is needed to do it. These false equivalencies are everywhere. And they use them as propaganda because they sound nice and they're half-truths. And people who don't do the research and ask why, they can sleep well at night thinking, well, you know what, we're taking the guns away and, and maybe the Second Amendment does say shall not be infringed, but you know what, we're better for it. It's important. The statistics say that we're better for it. But they don't understand the ramifications of what they're actually allowing to happen and in many cases are actively participating in. Here's the last thing I'm going to say, and this this comes full circle. This comes full circle, dude. Like, I wait till you see this David Copperfield shit. He talks about the fact that the Second Amendment in the beginning didn't even allow everyone to own guns. Who's he talking about? He's talking about black slaves. That's who he's talking about. Even in the beginning, the Second Amendment didn't allow black slaves to own guns. So therefore, it's negotiable now. You didn't treat them equally at the beginning, and therefore, I don't have to treat everyone equally now. Do you get that? Do you get that? He's drawing an equivalency where he's saying that because we screwed over black slaves who should have been able to fight their way free in the beginning, that y'all should be slaves now. That's what he's saying. All gun control is racist. I'll prove it to you right now. The modern day fight, the modern day fight for guns and the right to own firearms to protect yourself started with the Black Panthers. And regardless of what your opinion is of the Black Panthers and how they conducted themselves, I will tell you that in, in the essence of what they did, 
it was in the essence of the Second Amendment. They fought for equality and they used the Second Amendment. This is from an article. Uh, who wrote this article? This is from Pew. Uh, no, it's not from Pew. This is from, um, I believe, Reason. My notes at the top of the article are, this is control, not safety. It has its origins in racism. It was reignited in the 1960s, and now it's attempted to be applied to all non-state actors, meaning if you're not in the state, if you're not a police officer, if you're not part of the military, if you're not part of the Secret Service or the personal, personal armed guard or one of these elected officials and the folks that back them, if you're not part of that group, then they're basically trying to control you. And they're going to apply it to you and not all of themselves. The eighth grade students gathering on the west lawn of the state capitol in Sacramento were planning to lunch on fried chicken with California's new governor, Ronald Reagan. And then tore the granite building constructed a century earlier to resemble the nation's capital. But the festivities were interrupted by the arrival of 30 young black men and women carrying 357 magnums, 12-gauge shotguns, and 45 caliber pistols. The 24 men and six women climbed the Capitol steps, and one ma man, Bobby Seal, began to read from a prepared statement. The American people in general, and the black people in particular, he announced, must take careful note of the racist California legislature aimed at keeping the black people disarmed and powerless. Black people have begged, prayed, petitioned, demonstrated, and everything else to get the racist power structure of America to right the wrongs which have historically been perpetuated against black people. The time has come for black people to arm themselves against this terror before it is too late. Seeley then turned to the others. All right, brothers, come on, we're going inside. He opened the door, and the radicals walked straight into the state's most important most important, government building, loaded guns in hand. No metal, metal, no metal detector stood in their way. It was May 2nd, 1967, and the Black Panthers' invasion of the California State House launched the modern gun rights movement. Gun legislation is racist. It always has been. The only difference now is they're looking to broaden it. And the races doesn't matter anymore. It's whether you're with the state or you're not. It has nothing to do with the color of your skin anymore. They're taking what they learned and what they did to black folk ever since the beginning of this country in terms of keeping their Second Amendment rights from them. They're now applying it to all of us. If you don't have government credentials, they will take it from you. It came out of his own mouth. He told you back in the beginning of this country that black folk were not allowed to own guns if they were slaves. They also didn't count as a full person. But he's using that as a reason to now discriminate against pretty much everyone who isn't a government employee. That's the reasoning. Because we're smart. We know how to control things, and y'all are dumb, and you need to shut up and listen to what we say. That's the context. And you know what? I know why they pick Sleepy Joe. I hate to use a Trumpism, but it's freaking true. I know why they picked him. Because if you watch that video, it's like, it's tough to get through, of it, through it without falling asleep yourself. You don't know how bad you're getting screwed. He's so quiet and monotone and just kind of droning on that you're like, oh my God, I guess this can't be that bad because he's not getting all excited or anything like that. When truthfully, you should be stark raving mad. This is not going to be something that stops. We're still within year one of four. And one of two with him having the majority of the three branches of government, well, two branches of government, be Democrat-controlled. This ain't going to get better. 
But here's the difference. Everyone who's out there is like, you know, you got to vote harder and you got to do this and you got to do that. Where were Republicans when they had the majority? What did they do for gun rights? Did they repeal any of the infringements? It's like it's the same thing as the national debt question that I had, uh, you know, this this episode last week. When they had control, did they focus on cutting the deficit or getting rid of it or cutting government programs? The principles just aren't there. The lip service to the people who say that they're Second Amendment, you know, pro-Second Amendment, there's no follow-through. What's scary is the follow-through is there on the progressive side. When they say they want when they say they want to remove the guns, they they legitimately, they will not stop until they take them. And the people that are dead set on that, again, no matter of statistics will matter. Like no amount of statistics will matter to them. It won't sway their opinion. They're too far gone. The only way to confront that situation is to say, I will not let you take my rights. You can give them up if you want. I'm not saying that you have to have a firearm, but you don't get to take mine. And it doesn't matter what badge the person is wearing. I am saying this as a member of a police officer's family. Police officers should stand up. If they did it tomorrow and they said, we will not enforce Ill, uh, unconstitutional gun regulation, this shit would be a moot point. That's the foot soldiers who are ultimately going to take the firearms or shoot you if you don't give them over. And whether you're on the thin blue line side or if you're on the, you know, ACAB side, it doesn't matter. You can identify the fact that when these regulations come down from D.C., that's who ultimately enforces them. I don't want dumb policemen. I want policemen that can think. And the police officers that can think can identify the laws that are constitutional and not constitutional. I'm sorry, they can. Supreme Court's already said that they have absolutely no obligation to protect you. They don't. They can choose when they do or don't. They also have no obligation to enforce a law. They don't. Now, they might be threatened with being fired, but if enough of them stand up and say, I will not enforce an unconstitutional law, then what are they going to do? There are a number of sheriffs, there are a number of police departments that have come out and basically been bold in, in certain situations. I would wish they do it more often. I understand that it's political. I understand that they have a certain amount of political capital. And if they use it all up on one issue, it's tough to dig it back up and use it again on the next. But the more consistent they are, the better this gets, or at least the easier it gets to fight back on this stuff. But the answer is that certain rights, specifically the natural ones, are absolute. I get to defend myself by any means necessary. When my life is threatened, I can use a nuclear missile on you. Now, if I use it and I kill a bunch of people around you, that's on me. That's the difference. Will I ever be able to afford a nuclear missile? No. But I get to defend myself. And it's not like you get to choose how I get to defend myself. No, that's not. No, that, that doesn't happen. You don't get to tell me how I get to defend myself. When my life is threatened, I can grab whatever I have the means to grab. And you don't get to limit what I can purchase or acquire in order to defend myself. You don't. It's my life. That is collectivist. The powers that be do not see it that way. Or if they do understand that it should be that way, they are intentionally breaking with that. It's a way to become North Korea. It's a way to become communist China where there's almost absolute control ever, over every aspect of your life. The same thing holds true with the talk about the national debt. If the folks that purport to be for gun rights, okay, 
actually were as resolute as the people on the progressive side that want to take them away, we would be in a much better place. But the one thing that they rail about is always, oh, we don't want to be socialists. We don't turn into socialists. We don't want to be commies. We don't want to be a red country. Well, the, the, the more often, the more frequently that you don't stand with your principles, the more frequently that we just careen toward that, we get closer to being socialist if we don't stand with our principles. Politicians need to be less concerned about their future political career and more concerned with the fight that's in front of them right now. And there are a ton of them right now. National debt, foreign war, vaccine passports, gun rights, they're all under attack. The Tenth Amendment is basically toilet paper right now. The federal government has decided that if the attorneys general, attorney generals, attorneys general do not fight back, that they just have carte blanche. That's why the Constitution's broken, is because the assumption is that the states would fight back. They're not doing it because the political process has been co-opted from the very ground all the way up to D.C. So what are we left with? We're left with natural rights that when you try and take them, we don't allow you to. That's it for tonight. Thank you very much for hanging in with me. I will be back tomorrow night, Tuesday. It's Decentralize Everything Night. I will have Crimson Clad with me. We will be talking about NFTs and um, digital artwork and basically how, to, uh, how artists are capitalizing on their digital artwork out there in the, uh, on the blockchain in the digital world in Web 3.0. So definitely catch me tomorrow night at 7. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. There are so many reasons to decentralize, whether it's lack of control over your own data, platforms where you are the product and get paid little to no money, or censorship and government oversight into your personal communications. That's why I'm taking a journey to decentralize my social media as well as my life. Make sure to subscribe, hit the notification bell, and check out the Decentralize Everything playlist on this channel. Whether you're curious or looking to decentralize too, I would love your company as I make a move to break free, take control, and decentralize everything.